Welcome to Narrative Responsibility, a podcast about examining the meta story of your life, how well it is serving you, and how to change it for the better. I'm Elena Wolf, relationship coach and life alignment mentor, and this is this week's new perspective. Hi there! I'm so glad you're here today. This is episode eight time traveling for healing. This episode is part two of a three-part mini-series on our relationship to time as conscious beings. The strands are separate, and I think each of the episodes can stand alone, but it might still make more sense to make sure that you've listened to episode seven first. That said, let's dive into today's topic. I want to talk about time travel and specifically going back to the past in order to change the future. All right, so to be clear, I'm not necessarily talking about literal physical time travel. As far as I know, that still doesn't actually exist. Yes, I am aware of the some of the weird physics theories out there like retrocausality, basically how the events play out actually back influences the past. And I'm aware of the concept of quantum entanglement, where particles that don't seem to have a physical connection will do the same things, even though they're separated by space. And are they somehow connected? Are they somehow the same thing? And if you can affect one particle in one place, what does that do to a particle in another place? And could that somehow cross the time barrier as we physically understand time to operate in a linear sense? I mean, I don't know. I cannot speak to the accuracy of these theories. I can't honestly even pretend a deep understanding or frankly interest in them. Like they're very curious ideas, most curious indeed, And tell me when they're actually relevant to my life, and then I'll probably care a little bit more. But you know what is relevant? The fact that subatomic particles behave differently when they are observed. Back in college, I had to take a theoretical physics class as part of my degree plan, and we spent half a semester on this concept of how light particles behave when they are observed versus not observed. It left an impression. At a very high level, what I remember is there's a difference when there's an observer. If I recall correctly, what shifts is the nature of their behavior pattern from a waveform to a probability field. But seriously, don't quote me on that. You can go look up the slit experiment for yourself because I don't really remember much about it besides the name. But what makes this idea relevant is this. I think we all are familiar with the concept of the butterfly effect, where if you actually were to travel far enough back in time and you step on a butterfly and that butterfly died when it didn't in the path where you did not go back in time and destroy it, and somehow that affects the evolution of the entire biome on Earth. But here's the thing. If that observer effect is real, 
simply observing the past might be enough to change it. I mean, how crazy is that? I think, I think we can all be super glad right now that literal time travel, <laughs> physical time travel is not a thing. Uh, let's hope it doesn't become a thing because frankly, we have no idea what consequences it could cause. And I don't personally want to find out. But this concept of having an observer present and that somehow changing what happens potentially does create a valuable tool for working with our own past and the painful experiences and memories that might still be affecting our current moment, the future, according to those past moments. Last episode, I talked about the ways and the reasons that our past creates the current conditions we experience on both a physical and a perceptual level. And the reason that we might need to do some time traveling for the sake of healing relates to some heavier (laughs) psychological concepts like trauma and woundedness. So I want to offer a basic idea of how I use a few key terms so that you kind of understand where I'm coming from and what I mean when I talk about these things. Wounds are places where past experiences hurt us and either continue to hurt us because we haven't fully healed or they left a permanent mark on our perceptions. Healing is the process of bringing yourself out of active pain where you reach a place that you don't view the world through the lens of that pain and you're not behaving reactively as a result of that pain. Healing doesn't mean that the pain didn't happen. It did. It will never not have happened. Healing just means you're at peace about what happened and you're no longer making decisions from emotions that arose because of what happened. You might still make decisions that are informed by what you experience, but not with that active emotional reactivity. Trauma is a place where we did not heal because the pain was beyond our capacity to accept or to process. We can be wounded and in pain and actively in the process of healing and integrating the experience. So being wounded does not equal being traumatized. Wound does not equal trauma. A trauma is a severe wound, yes, but not all wounds are trauma. Trauma was something you could not handle, so you suppressed it until you gained the adequate resource to process it, whether that resource is physical safety and being out of that situation, whether it is having supportive relationships, whether it's just being older and more mature and thus better able to process and contextualize what happened and the emotions around that painful event. Gabor Mate adds the following nuance to a general definition of trauma. Trauma is both the bad things that happened to us that should not have happened and the good things that should have happened that did not happen. And I think that is a really important point to add that the lack of certain positive events can also be traumatizing, that that the absence of good can be just as wounding as the presence of bad. And that if the lack of good goes on for long enough or is pervasive enough or is extensive enough, that it can cause trauma 
that follows us for decades, whether we're talking from childhood into adulthood. I mean, literally all the way through adulthood, if we never do recovery work to address it, or from something that happened at one point in our adulthood to years or decades later, if we never address it and recover it. And both aspects of trauma, the bad that shouldn't have been there but was, the good that should have been there but wasn't, can shape our current belief paradigm. And having trauma-driven or wound-driven beliefs from either direction can make us misinterpret the truth of our current moment. We can miss opportunities that are there because our beliefs won't let us recognize them. We might assume negative intent where there is none, and that might make us more defensive or more reactive or more withdrawing than we would have been without that belief that told us it's a negative, like whatever's coming at us is bad. We can tell ourselves no. We limit the edges of what we see as possible, and so we don't even try to do things beyond what we see as possible. We can avoid good things that we've never experienced just because they're unknown, Maybe we don't see a reason to go experience that good thing because we don't know how good it's going to be, or maybe the unknown feels inherently unsafe because it's new and we'd, you know, part of us would rather stick with something that we know, even if it's something that's not very good. At least we know how to survive that. This new thing, hmm, <laughs> I don't know. And the reason having this kind of limiting belief paradigm is a problem is that one of the best ways to change our subconscious emotional beliefs is by having corrective experiences. That's an embodied learning that gives us evidence that contradicts our beliefs. It allows us to take a new imprint and a new belief on board in our psyche, in our subconscious, that will then be how we interpret the world going forward. But if we can't allow ourselves to have a different experience than the type of experience we've already had, the one that gave us the bad belief, then we're not going to be able to create a new belief that's better. We're not going to be able to update our belief patterns. And if we insist on interpreting our new experiences, even though they might be objectively positive experiences through the lens that our old beliefs gave us, then we might interpret them as uncomfortable or as negative, even though they're actually not. In these ways, we might not actually be able to have a corrective experience. We might, in an external way, be having a positive interaction with someone, but if internally we're interpreting it as a negative interaction, that's how we're experiencing it. That's how we're feeling about it, and it's reinforcing our belief that all interactions are bad they're unsafe, they hurt, as opposed to allowing in the evidence that, oh, I can have a positive interaction, I can have a safe interaction. So if you don't ever let the reality of what you're experiencing in, if you if it can't get past those belief filters, then you can't rewrite your beliefs. And we can sometimes understand on a cognitive level that we have these beliefs and that we need to replace them but we still find ourselves unable to allow the, co- the corrective experience, even if we try to have one. Those subconscious fears are just too strong, and they're controlling too much of our present moment. But what if you could go back to the past and change that experience so that your present day self was no longer in the grip of that negative belief? 
what if you could change something back then in order to actually be able to open up now to really letting go of that belief? What if you were able to make the bad less bad so that you weren't so afraid of it? Or what if you were able to add good that hadn't been there so that you're able to recognize it when you see it now? What if the simple act of going back in time and witnessing what happened when there had been no witness the first time, that subatomic observer effect, what if that was enough to create a different future? And is there any way to go about actually doing this, any of this? Well, I mean, how weird do you want to get? There are absolutely metaphysical healing practices that seem to work on this kind of premise that if we change something energetically in the now, it can retroactively heal something in the past. Some of the modalities that work with that kind of idea or philosophical orientation are things like past life regressions, karma, family lineage, healing, possibly also things like Akashic Records and soul contracts, um, energy healing, quantum healing. There, there may be others that I'm less familiar with. I will confess that my own metaphysical slash woo side healing endeavors went in a different direction, uh, specifically into shamanic journeying, which is plenty out there, but also has some pretty solid links to neuroscience that I will get into a little bit later. There was one book that I read about energy healing that had a, a belief framework around memories being stored in the ether rather than our, our personal minds or bodies. And that if you change a memory in that ether and then re-download it, it'll, it'll basically overwrite the old one in your, in your body, in your memories. And I, I personally did not, um, I did not like that idea. It felt like it would be maybe gaslighting myself or dishonoring what my past self had to cope with. And I did not want to erase the record of what happened or, you know, what I had experienced. I simply wanted a way to get out from under those emotional beliefs that were preventing me from having certain corrective experiences in my body, in my life, in the now moment. There are other practices that are arguably more science-based, although they're still aimed at interacting with our irrational side, the side of us that's emotional, that's somatic, that's experience-based. And that side is not rational. It doesn't necessarily work on logic and on reasoning. It works in the language of emotions, symbols, associations, meanings. And we can access that side of us through the fact that our emotions are asynchronous to time. 
So our irrational side is also asynchronous to time. That means if we can get into that irrational side, then we can effectively time travel and go back into the past, change something, and then have our emotional beliefs in the now shift as a result of what we went back in and changed. And essentially practices like EMDR, art therapy, inner family systems, inner parenting, active imagination, meditations, shamanic journeying, lucid dreaming, that sort of thing are aimed at working with our subconscious by, I mean, kind of inceptioning ourselves really, <laughs> um, by, by speaking in the language of emotions and symbols and associations um, in order to add in something that hadn't been there and, and in that way allow us to shift what we're doing in the present moment because our belief is no longer monolithic. It's no longer this unassailable thing that locks in and defines all of our embodied experiences. Let's take an example. Let's say you have a debilitating fear of dogs. And that came from having had a childhood experience where a dog maybe attacked you or threatened to attack you. You were truly terrified or even got hurt. And that was the only experience with a dog you had. Maybe your caretakers were well-meaning, but kind of kept you away from dogs after that. And what, what that did is it reinforced that dogs are something to be afraid of and to be avoided. They're bad. They're scary. You can't ever have a good experience with them. And so by the time you were, you got to be an adult, that fear belief had been reinforced in your body a thousand times over, where every single time you interacted with the, even the idea of dog or a dog in a physical way, it was drenched with fear and creating a parallel memory where you had a positive interaction, like playing with a dog, maybe before the bad thing happened, or, you know, soon after the bad thing happened, where Instead of keeping you away from dogs and kind of catering to your, to your fear, your caretakers found a safe container for you to go experience dogs in a positive way in order to show you, hey, it's not all dogs, it was just that dog, or it's not all situations, it was just that situation. And then when you kind of integrate this parallel memory into your now moment, you have both of them sitting there side by side, and you can choose which one you want to follow? Which one are you going to allow to define your current experiences? And so if you choose then to lean into the memory that says, I can have a positive interaction. See, here was, you know, me playing with my neighbor's puppy, and it was so fun, and it was so sweet, and it licked my face all over. Then you can choose now as an adult to go find a similar experience you know, there's always puppies to be found. Find one that can wiggle on you and lick you and make you feel happy. And, you know, it's not that you necessarily have to then become a dog lover. It's just you can make an informed decision based on your authentic experience with dogs rather than only seeing them through the lens of this old fear. So that's kind of the value of creating these parallel memories is it just gives you a pathway into having a different experience in your body that you weren't able to have before because the grip of the fear was just too strong. And the reason that parallel memories are an effective tool 
is that they don't put the body at risk to kind of work with them. You can go into an active imagination situation or some kind of therapeutic enacting situation or a journey lucid dream type situation and your body is not at risk. So your nervous system doesn't activate the same way. There's no acute threat. There's just this idea. And so you can accept the the new idea because your body isn't being threatened while you have that idea. Sometimes the mind has to heal first or the interpretive lens has to be healed first um, is maybe the, the more accurate way to put that. So it's a little circular, you know, you have to have a different experience in order to subconsciously allow yourself to have a different experience. The other way to look at it would be that your subconscious belief doesn't allow you to have any other experience. So it just continually reinforces its belief. So if you want to know a little bit about the neuroscience of what's going on with creating these parallel memories, I can at least talk about shamanic journeying. That is a modality that I work with both as a personal practice and as something that I facilitate for other people. And specifically, I do a drumming-based practice where the rhythm of the drumming entrains your brain into a certain brainwave state, specifically theta waves, where you are kind of at the edge of sleep. It's a relaxed, receptive space a kind of liminal space, you might think of it, similar to deep meditation. And if you're trained in journeying, then from that place, from that brainwave state, you're able to see a scene unfolding. It's basically a lucid dream. And as the journey really takes off, your brain actually switches out of theta waves and up to beta waves. That's our out and about in the world. So your mind records that journey that you have and the events that you experience, the choices that you make, the adventures that you have, the conversations you have, you know, whatever's happening in that, in that space, in that dream space, in that shamanic space, your mind records that as if they happened because the brainwave state that you're in is your out and about in the world state. And so you file them in your memory like they happened like you actually did that or experienced that. This is a phenomenon that's been recorded on EEG scans. I've seen it referenced in several books on shamanism, and my personal mentor um, has also confirmed it in his EEG scan work. And I'm assuming that something similar probably happens with the other modalities, although I have never really looked at the scientific research behind them, if it's if it's there. It's just that the, the shamanic stuff is something that... I work with myself and I have worked with someone who's researched it. And maybe all of this sounds less cool than actual time travel would have. Sorry, did I, was this a bait and switch? I thought this was going to be cool science fiction and she went into new age spirituality. (laughs) Or, you know, maybe it's just really out there and you're like, what did I even just listen to? Uh, That was weird. And that's cool if that's the reaction you're having. I wanted to share it for the people who might need it but don't know it exists. And also because I just think it's a really fascinating thing that our minds can do. Knowing that just imagining something can change your beliefs, if you imagine it hard enough in the right way, it's like that's empowering. 
knowing that you can change your relationship to your past, even if you can't change what physically happened, that's empowering. And finally, uh, since this definitely got kind of heavy with all the, the talk about trauma and revisiting those most painful moments of our past, and okay, I'll throw a bone to all my fellow nerds out there. I want to talk a little bit about some of my favorite time travel movies that actually do explore the notion of either parallel memories, parallel timelines, or the act of going back to the past to change the present in a really thoughtful way. And okay, if they're all a decade out of date, sorry, not sorry, I live under a rock now. I rarely get to see movies. The first one I'm going to throw a recommendation out for is Looper. It's probably the most straightforward time travel of the movies here. It is several people actually kind of working at cross purposes to one another, trying to change the future by changing the past. And you can sort of watch the, the fight between these various futures fighting to come into being as the events of the movie play out in maybe a slightly different way than the original timeline had them play out. Another Earth is a very art house science fiction, and it creates basically a schism in reality and asks the question, what was the other path? And would you really want to see it? The Adjustment Bureau is a movie that tracks, it kind of tracks how seemingly small moments and decisions can alter the course of our whole life. And it, again, is sort of playing with parallel timelines and the idea that we can be, we can go off track a little, but then get kind of nudged back onto this track that we're supposed to play out without ultimately changing the future. Like there's some flexibility, but then there will be some moments that forever change the course of our life. And once we have had that moment, then there is no going back to the other timeline. There is no going back to that other future. Predestination is an absolute bonkers Ouroboros kind of movie. Where's the origin point? Who knows? Uh, I recommend watching it twice to get all the jokes because there will definitely be things that do not land the first time you see them because you don't have the context. And finally, source code is is actually literally using the idea of going back into memories as a tool to go back in time. In this case, it's not so much to change the outcome as it is to get more information and solve the mystery. It's been a minute since I've seen it, but I recall it being kind of a whodunit, like they're trying to find the perpetrator of the crime. There's not a way for them to actually stop the crime, but they, um, they're going back into someone's memory cells that was there in order to explore and see if they can figure it out. So I hope if you give any of them a watch that you enjoy them. And for now, that's it for today. Thank you so much for spending this time with me and for letting me get weird. If you want to know more about my work, you can check out thepatternbreaker.com or follow me on Instagram at thepatternbreaker. And until next time, what part of your story are you going to take responsibility for this week? 